Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We continue our series on margins, and today we are talking about financial margin. Now, wait, 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 wait. Before you reach up and turn off the volume, okay, which I know some of you just did. Oh, he's talking about money. Um, maybe somebody talked you into coming today and your excuse to them for why you don't like going to church is every time I go to church, the preacher talks about money and he just wants my money. I'm going to say something at the end of the sermon today. I venture to say you've never heard a preacher say, and I'm going to talk about money today in a way that you probably have not heard many preachers talk about money. Um, so please don't turn off the volume because I think that today you will leave here and you will think to yourself, I've never heard it quite like that. And I really believe that you'll leave and think to yourself, he's trying to help me. He's not trying to take money from me. He's, not, he's, he's trying to help me. And I am. I'm trying to help you today. So <clears throat> here's what I would say. Even though I don't know some of you all that well, and I certainly don't know your financial situation, um, I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I don't want to know what anybody in this church gives. We, we try to make it really anonymous around here. It's none of my business what you're given. I don't... I, don't, I want nothing to do with any of that, okay? So understand that. But let me tell you something that I know about you, and from there I will build my case. First of all, this is what I know about you. You are living on a, a percentage of your income. Here's what else I'll tell you. You probably don't know what that is. You probably don't know what percentage of your income you're living on. Now, some of you might, but a lot of you probably don't. We're all living on a percentage of our income. You might be living on 90%, right? You might have a 401k thing that takes 5%. Maybe you're putting some in the bank, another 5%. Maybe you're living on 90. Some of you are givers and you tithe, so that's, now you're down to 90%. And then maybe you're putting 5% in some kind of savings account or something like that. Now you're down to 85%. Some of you are living on 100% of your income. It comes in, it goes out. And you're not sure where it goes, but round and round and round it goes, right? And you think that if you just made more money, you'd have more money. But you keep getting raises, and you can't save because you're living on 100% of your income. Some of you have major, major credit card debt and a couple of car payments and a lease payment, and you're on about 110% of your income, but you don't know it because you're able to make the minimum payment for now. So everything's fine in your world, but the truth is you're upside down. But all of us in this room are living on a percentage of our income. The other thing I know about many of you, and this describes me as well, is we feel that if we had just a little bit more, things would be better, right? If I could just make an extra fill-in-the-blank $1,000 more a month, things would be better for me, my life would be better, I wouldn't have all this trouble that I've got. You know, you go in to buy a new car and you think to yourself... If I just had $1,000 more, I could get the rim package I want. You know, if I just had 1500 or 2000 more, I could, I could upgrade to the leather. If I had that $5,000 extra, I could do that, that next upgrade package, and I would be so cool riding in that car. It would be awesome. And no matter what it is that you want to purchase, whether it's a house or a car, You look at the house and it's just a little bit more than you can afford. The car's just a little bit more than you can afford. The furniture, whatever it is that you're looking at. And wherever you are, there's just something in us that says, you know, if I just had just a little bit more, 
Things would be so much better for me. The other thing I know about most of us, if we're honest, is that we make so much money compared to the other people, not just in the nation, not just in the state, but in this city, that we should just have a big old grin on our face all the time, and the last thing we should feel is financial pressure, that, we, that I could probably produce some people in the city that would come into this place, and if we, you know, we're not going to do that, so don't get nervous, but if we were going to put all of our financial cards on the table and say, this is what I'm worth, this is what I've got, other people would look at us and go, are you kidding me? See, they would, they would think, you know, what they would think is, well, I don't, if, you know, if I had what you have, I'd have a big old grin on my face, and I'd be walking around, I'd have a party every night in the streets, and I would just be throwing money in the air, make it rain, you know. That's what people would think if they saw what we have, people in this city. And yet we walk around worried about, oh, I don't know how we're going to make it this week. And you argue with your husband or you argue with your wife in your bedroom house, your four-bedroom, five-bedroom house about the money and you drive away in your new car away from your really nice house and you feel all this financial pressure and the issue is, as we will talk about today, the issue is margin. See, if you don't have financial margin, then I know what you have in your life. You have tension in your life. And the issue is not how much money you make. The issue is your lifestyle that you have allowed to chase your income. So let's talk a little bit about financial margin. I want to give you a definition to make sure that we're all on the same page this morning. Here's the first. I'm going to give you a couple. Financial margin is cash sources minus cash uses. Cash sources minus cash uses. In other words, All the money that comes in minus all the money that goes out, whatever you have left over, that's your margin. You know, when it's at the end of the month and and you and your family go back to the back part of the house and you grab the bag that's in the back with all the money in it and you you drag it into the kitchen and you, you you heave that bag up on the table and you turn it upside down and you dump out all that money that you've got at the end of the month and, and you say as a family... What are we going to do with all this leftover money? That is what you do, right? You do that, right? Let me give you another definition. Financial margin, the amount of money you have left to spend as you desire after living expenses and mandatory commitments are met. Financial margin, the, the amount of money you have left, and some of you are going, well, what would that be? I mean, we've, you know, we've never experienced that ever in our life. To spend as you desire, in other words, you dump it all, on, all out on the table, and at the end of the month, you as a family, you say, we just need to figure out what to do with all this because we've paid our bills, we've paid our taxes, we've saved, we've given, now we've got some left over, now what do we do with all this? Here's all the money left over, that's the margin. And as we said in the very first week, if you're a God follower, if you you take your faith and you take the Bible seriously, God is going to lead you to a life of margin because good things happen in the margin. If I could get you to remember one sentence out of this whole series, that's it. Good things happen in the margin. Good things happen in the margin. Relationships happen in margin. There is peace 
There is joy in the margins of life, and God is going to lead you to financial margin. And as, margin. As, as I talk about this, and as I build the case today, there is a part of you that is going to argue, and there's going to be a part of you that's going to want to say, well, maybe someday, and maybe in the past that was the case, but I just want you to listen with an open mind this morning, okay? Just, just be, I mean, you got no place else to go. You're here. Just, just listen. And as you surrender your pocketbook and finances to Christ, which is usually the last thing we surrender, which amazes me, it's the thing we chase all week, right? It's the thing you got up early and you went to work and you've worked hard and you, some of you have worked overtime and you, you know exactly how many dollars are in your wallet. I mean, some of you, money is the most important thing in your life and you come to church and I'm not supposed to talk about it, ever. It's like off limits. I mean, you talk about it, think about it, work for it, strive for it, save it, spend it, lose it, waste it, all that stuff, all week, and then you come to church on Sunday, and I'm supposed to talk about life, and money is your life, much of it, and I'm not supposed to have anything to say about it. It's usually the last thing we surrender. God is going to lead us to a place where we have financial margin in our life. I want to show you a chart to put, the, put us all on the same page this morning. You see that blue line? That blue line represents income. And what you have is you have dollars up the side. So as the blue line goes up, that indicates more dollars that you make, time going out, that's as time passes. And hopefully, as time goes by, you have more income. Hopefully, that income goes up and as time goes by. So the blue line represents actual dollars, income. And, and, and hopefully, you know, you're making more now than you were making 10 years ago or whatever. That's not true for all of us. It's true for most of us. It's true for a lot of us. The question is, where does your lifestyle fall in relationship to your income? Where does your lifestyle fall in relationship to your income? And that's when I want to show you the next slide. For many of us, our lifestyle tracks right alongside our income. As income has increased, our spending has increased, our lifestyle basically has matched our income. As cash comes in, the cash goes out. You get a big bonus, you get a big raise, you move into a bigger house, you buy a better car. You lease another car, you buy a second house. Generally, as the money comes in, the spending increases. And for many people in the United States of America, the picture looks more like this. <clears throat> spending has outpaced income. You've got credit card debt. You've got car payments. The truth is, if you suddenly had to pay what you owe, you don't have the assets to pay everything that you owe. You don't have the cash or the value to pay your debts. And you would actually be upside down. Your income has not kept pace with your spending or your lifestyle. Now, the problem is this right here. <clears throat> there isn't margin. If your income and your spending are essentially on track with each other, not only is there tension, but if there's ever a shortfall, for instance, if your income drops in some way, um, maybe you're counting on the bonus, you didn't get the bonus. Maybe you were planning on a, you know, a sale to go through, and I'm pretty sure that sale's going to go through, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go spend what I think I'm going to make on that sale in advance, and maybe it's a new car or you know, something like that, and, you, and so or it, it impacts whether or not you're buying a new car or what kind you buy. And so you go do that, and then, uh-oh, the, the sale didn't go through. Now what? 
Um, you know, your boss walks in and says, hey, we've we got to lay some people off. Tag, you're it. You're one of them. Boss walks in and says, hey, times are tough. Everybody's going to have to bite the bullet, tighten in the belt a little bit. Um, everybody's taking a 15% uh, pay cut, you included, and you weren't counting on that. Suddenly, the economy turns and it impacts you in some way. And if your lifestyle and income have been side by side and tracking with each other, you obviously are going to have some big problems financially. And if you thought there was tension before, suddenly there is a whole new level of tension for you that goes on on the inside and it begins to spill out all over the people who are around you on the outside. The goal is margin. The goal is for income and for spending to be separated in such a way that there is margin, that there's space in between what you make and what you spend. That your lifestyle, which is represented by spending, doesn't keep pace with your income. But that you get yourself in a situation and you develop a system and a strategy where there is margin in between. Then, when those unexpected things come around, and they always do, don't they? They always do. Am I the only one that has had unexpected things happen to their cars this, this summer? And we know that we, if we have a car, it's going to need some help. We know that things are going to break. We know that things around the house are going to break. We know that if we have dogs, they have to go to the vet. And oh my goodness, it's got a runny nose, so it's got to have special $100 medicine, right? We know that. Things break, things happen, and it's going to cost us money. And when you've, when you've got margin... You can absorb those surprises and there's still joy and there's still peace and there's no tension. But when you're right up to the edge, when you've spent everything you've made and then all of a sudden Spike needs flea medicine, oh my goodness, I can't afford flea medicine. And so as you watch all of this, all these graphic things, here's what you're thinking. You know what, Brett? That's great. That's great. I believe that. In fact, some of you would say, I was raised to think that way. But Brett, I just don't make enough money. You know, if I had the kind of job that, and if I could ever finish my education, and if I, if I, if I, and one of the myths that we have to unravel and take apart this morning is the issue of financial margin is not about income. It's not about income. It's about lifestyle. Simply increasing your income will not guarantee you margin. Because the truth is, 10 years ago, you didn't make as much money probably as you're making today. That's not true of all of us, but it's true of a lot of us. And if you, don't have, if you didn't have margin then, you probably don't have much margin now. Because the temptation and the trend and the tendency is to allow our lifestyle to keep pace with our income. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, unless you don't have margin. So most of you are probably making more money now than ever. And again, that's not everybody in the room. I understand that. Yet at the same time, you feel more tension and you feel more fear when it comes to your finances than ever before. Why is that? The issue is not income. The issue is lifestyle. And, and so one of the things that we have to address as individuals, especially as Christians, is this. Are we allowing the culture and our quest for bigger and better and shinier and newer to outstrip and keep pace with our income and consequently rob us of the opportunity to have margin in our life. See, if you do not address the quest for stuff, the, the drive for stuff in you, 
If you do not address the lifestyle issue, then the more money you make, it's not going to solve the problem because a big raise and a big bonus will just give you an opportunity to go out and spend more and buy more and get that thing that you want that's shiny and pretty and new and fast. I'm convinced it does not matter how much money we make, we figure out a way to spend it. It is not an income problem. It is a lifestyle problem. Here's the challenge. When you don't have financial margin, two things happen. You rob yourself and you rob God. You rob yourself and you rob God. When there is no financial margin or when you don't know, there's just fear and mystery when it comes to money, which is one of the very few areas in our life where there really should be no mystery. I mean, it's pretty easy. We can see them come in. We can see them go out. You can count them. You can see them and you can count them. It shouldn't be really that hard. You only get a certain amount, and every time you spend it, you watch it go. But when there is a mystery and fear, where there is a mystery, there's fear. And where there's fear, we, we get uptight because there's no margin. You always rob yourself, and at the same time, you rob God. You rob yourself because as long as there's no financial margin, you rob yourself of accomplishing any of your financial goals. If there's no margin to pull from, then there is no planning for the future. Right? I don't know what you hope to accomplish with the money, with your money situation in the next year or the next six months or the next five years or the next lifetime. But if you don't ever find margin, you will never accomplish those financial goals. You just will not do it. You rob yourself of financial freedom. You rob yourself of ever getting out of debt. You rob yourself of ever being able to go pay cash for bigger things to make it easier for you. You're always going to have payments of one kind or another. You rob yourself of knowing how you're going to pay for your kid's education. When there is no margin in our quest for bigger and better and shinier and newer, the loser is always us. Because at the end of the day, we live with the pressure that robs us of the joy of the things that we've purchased. At the same time, as we look into the future, there's fear and, and we wonder. You know, there's just all this I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen. And again, there are people that are maybe three or four financial economic levels below where you are that would look up at you and, and think to themselves, what a joke. I mean, how in the world could you have financial pressure? Why would you worry about anything? I would love to make what you make. I, when we could bring people in that would be a couple of levels below you that would look up at your financial level and say, man, I would do anything have your income and again the issue is not income we have allowed lifestyle to ramp up as fast or faster than our income and consequently we're the loser we rob ourselves financially we rob ourselves emotionally because where there's no financial margin there's no peace and where there's no financial margin all we've got is worry i told you that day one the the less margin you have the more stress you have you show me someone with a lot of stress, I'll show you someone with no margin. You show me someone who has some peace in their life, you show me someone who doesn't freak out when they get an unexpected bill in the mail, I'm probably looking at somebody who has achieved some level of margin where they've been able to absorb little surprises. The more money you make, the more worry you have, seemingly, because here's what happens. 
The more money you make, the more you worry. Because, you know, if you've got a job that's paying you $100,000, $200,000, $250,000 a year, those jobs just don't grow on trees, right? I mean, there aren't very many of those kind of jobs. And if you lose the one you've got, the prospects of getting another one like it are not as great as you being able to go out and find a job where you make twenty, twenty-five, thirty, dollars or $40,000 a year. So you lay awake at night thinking, man, I've got to hang on to this job, and if anything ever happens, and oh my goodness, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leveraged, I'm right up to the edge. So you rob yourself financially, you rob yourself emotionally, and if you're married, you rob yourself relationally. Because you worry and you fight and you argue about dollars. And you live in a nice place and you drive a nice car. And you make more money probably, maybe, than your parents ever dreamed of making. And still there is tension relationally. And you tell yourself, if only we could make more. And that is a lie. Because the issue is, if only we would spend less. And then the day comes when you're willing to surrender your finances to God hopefully. And when that day comes, he is going to lead you to margin, and before he deals with the income, probably, probably he's going to deal with the outflow. Before he deals with your income, he's probably going to deal with, why are, you, why are you living like that? And he's going to help you harness and tackle that monster in all of us, myself included, okay? I include myself in this. That monster in us that says, I want more. I've got to have more. I like that. I want to get one of those. See, here's what Dee Dee knows about me that you may or may not know about me. If you know me well, you know this. I mean, I'm as materialistic as anybody in the room. Right? I like stuff. I like shiny stuff. I like fast stuff. I really like fast stuff. I like stuff that makes sound. I like techie stuff. I like new stuff. And, and you know, here's, you might be like me. I'm, I'm one of those people that if, you know, they make like an economy version and then they make uh, like the deluxe version of, of just about everything. Are you like me that you'd rather have the deluxe version than the economy version? And if there's a choice between, like if I have to wait two weeks to get the really good one, I'll wait. I'll wait. Like, don't give me the cheap one. I want the really good one. We're all kind of, we're, please tell me it's not just me, right? We're all kind of wired that way. You're lying to me. I know you. You're li just like me. It's in me, and I know that it's in a lot of you. Here's the issue. All of us have limits. The question is, will, you, will your financial limits be the limits that culture leads you to? And understand this. Culture wants to lead you to the brink of bankruptcy. Now, culture does not knock on your door and say, hello, I'm culture, I'm about to grab the, you by the throat and drag you to bankruptcy. It never announces itself. But you look up one day and you realize, man, culture has thrown me a curveball and I, I swung and missed. I mean, culture will lead you to set the limit at your income. It will not lead you to dial back. Culture will not call you to dial back. Culture will not call you to step back from the edge and not spend as much as you're making. Culture will call you to spend everything you've got and everything that's given to you, it'll call you to spend 100% of it. That's a limit. But there's a limit that God says, hey, it's way back here. It's back from the edge. I'm calling you back. You're, we're going to hold some back. We're going to 
dialed-down lifestyle, and we're going to free ourselves up to no longer rob ourselves and ultimately to no longer rob God. See, if you don't have any financial margin, you cannot be a generous giver. You just can't. You want to be. You know, a preacher gets up, there's an opportunity, or you meet somebody that's in need, and they have a, you know, they need a car, or they need some, you know, groceries or something. They've lost a job. You want to help. I was talking to a guy in our church who, one of the guys that went on the, the, um, the we just sent a mission team to Baton Rouge a couple of weeks ago. And uh, one of the guys that went on that trip was telling me about Samaritan's Purse that ran the, the, that particular ministry. We partnered with them to do some things. And so he said, you know, Samaritan's Purse really has that figured out. And he said, basically, they've got it to where the only thing you've got to do is get yourself down there and get yourself back. And he said, and in our church, we had a couple of families that took care of that. That they paid for everybody's, all their gas, all their food, to, and they stayed in a hotel on the way down and on the way back. They paid for all that so that all the team had to do was go down there. So do you understand what I'm saying? There, was, there were a couple of families in our church that were able to, that had the margin to be able to do that. And you hear me say that and you think, well, they're rich. And I hear that and I say, no, they had margin. See, there's a difference. You're rich, but you may not have margin. You make enough money to have been able to pay, probably, to send a team down there like that, because it, it, I mean, it would have been a substantial thing, but if you worked at it, you could probably have done it. But many people in the room can't do it because we've spent everything that we make, and there's no mar- margin anywhere. And so, so, so what happens is, you know, the preacher gets up and he says, you know, hey, so-and-so, um, single mom, she's got three kids, and, and you know, the situation's bad, they've just laid her off, and um, she, she needs some help and you hear that story and you think your heart goes out but there ain't no money going out with it because here's your prayer oh Lord we'll pray for them God just provide for them you know I'd like to provide for them but I spent all mine but just bring somebody who has a lot more wisdom and has been way more disciplined with their money than me because you know God I make plenty but I'm selfish and I spend it all on me I'd love to help but I can't help See, when you do that, when you spend everything at the level of your income and there is no margin, you cannot help anybody else. The Bible says at that point that you have robbed God because here is our assumption. The assumption is if God put it in my hands, it's thanks God, it's for me and it's for my family and I'll spend it any way I want to. I don't need any margin. I don't need any discipline. God, thank you for the job. Thank you for allowing me to live in America. God, this is awesome, these opportunities. Thank you for my education. God, I believe you've given me all this for me. And God says, wrong. I didn't just give it all for you. I gave it so that you could help some other people. I gave it so that when you encounter someone that has a need, you can reach into your margin and you can produce what that person needs and you can bless them and you can bless God. And God says, when you plan to use it all on you or you plan to retire on it all and you're not going to give any of it to anybody else, basically you have robbed me. And here's the tragedy. When you rob God financially, here's what you don't know that you're doing, but you're doing it. Basically, you shove God out of the financial area of your life. You've basically closed the door and said, God, not welcome here. 
You say, God, I want you to take care of my kids. I want you to keep me healthy. I want you to bless me, bless me, bless me. But when it comes to my finances, door closed. Don't even get involved in my life. God, you are not welcome here. Now, if there's a tragedy, I'm going to open that door back up and I'm going to invite you to come back in and fix me up. But in the meantime, when things are going good, no thank you. Thanks for the blessing. I'll take it from here and I'll consume all that you have blessed, with, blessed me with on me because I think it's mine. And God says, you know what? That kind of thinking will lead you to a place where you will consume your way to the limit, to the edge. And then when there is trouble and when there needs to be a change, you will come to me and you will open the door and you'll invite me in, but you won't like my advice because it'll be the same advice that caused you to close the door in the first place and walk away from me because I'm going to ask you to surrender the whole thing to me and that is going to scare you to death. But either way, you'll be back. I want you to turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you go to the middle of your Bible and start turning toward the left, or turn into the left, um, it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's, it's not pronounced Malachi. You know, that good old Italian prophet. It sounds like a mafia don, Don Malachi. No, it's not Malachi, it's Malachi. This book was written about 400 years before Jesus shows up. In fact, when Malachi gave his prophecy to Israel... There was no more word from God that we know of. So Malachi is speaking for God. So when you hear Malachi speaking, it's, it's basically God speaking. And so there was what they called the 400 years of silence where no one heard from God until one day John the Baptist showed up and he said, hey, you know, God's speaking again. Jesus is coming. So this is about 400 years before Jesus and about 100 years after Israel was brought back from exile. They were sent off because they had disobeyed and abandoned God and God brought them back out of captivity. And this is about 100 years after that. And, and now, once again, they've become apathetic. They're starting to walk away from God. They've given less and less and less. And now, their crops have begun to fail. There were rumors that they were about to be invaded once again. And suddenly, things are so bad for them that the people in Israel are like, hey, God, what's up? You know, I mean, why, why, aren't, why isn't God blessing us? I mean, things have gotten really, really difficult. And so the prophet Malachi speaks to this issue in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. I love that. Page is turning. That's awesome. I can't hear the, I can't hear the cell phone thing, but I know you do that too. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? In other words, I didn't know we'd gone anywhere, you know. Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? To which they say, huh? But you ask, are, how are we robbing God? And God answers, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse for your whole nation, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Here's how the system worked back then. If you were a Jewish person and faithful to the law and faithful to God, the law required that you give 20% off the top. 20%. You heard me right. 10% went to the temple to take care of the, uh, the temple and the people that worked in the temple, the priests and things like that. And then 10% went to fund the different festivals throughout the year and, and different feasts that they had. And then every third year, they had a fund for poor people. That money would go into that fund every third year and they would take care of poor people out of it. So 
every third year, you know, poor people were being helped by this fund to make sure that, that they got taken care of. So to be a good Jew in that culture, before taxes, off the top, 20%. Well, these people, you know, like us, I mean, that's a lot of money. So over time, they gave less and less and less. And finally, they were doing leftover giving. You know what leftover giving is, right? I mean, some of you are practicing leftover giving. God, I'm going to spend it all on me, and if there's anything left over at the end of the week, I might come in and lay down a buck or two. You know, whatever's left over, we're going to give to the temple, they said. Well, their crop started to fail. And so God withdrew his blessing, and they're like, hey, man, you know, chop, chop, what's wrong? You know, he's supposed to be taking care of me. And Malachi comes along and he says, God says, you're robbing him. To which they say, well, how, how can a man rob God? He says, simple, you've consumed everything on yourself that was originally intended to support his kingdom and in, this, and in his world, and, and you've consumed that which belonged to God, and when you did that, God said, well, then I'm going to remove myself from being involved with them financially, and they're going to be cursed. And good luck. You can plant all the crops you want and try to defend yourself, and when you're ready to start getting yourself involved with me again and open up the door of your financial life to me again, I'll get involved. involved. But in the meantime, you're robbing me. That's what God said. Now, in the New Testament, same principle applies. God has blessed you and me, not simply for our sake, but for his kingdom's sake. That's one of the reasons he blesses us. And when we live a marginless life, That is when we consume all that comes in. We just consume it all, or we plan to consume it all when we retire. Basically, when all that comes in, we see it as coming to us. God basically says, well, you may not realize it, but you're robbing me. And if you rob me, I have to exit the scene of your financial world. Have a nice day. Good luck. I'll see you later. And then God says an interesting thing to Israel. Instead of simply chastising them, Because I think God understands our quest for stuff. I think God understands our desires and our lusts and our, you know, our wants. And I I think he knows that there's a constant pressure that we face in the culture we live in. Keep up with the neighbors and, you know, our kids want to keep up with the neighbor's kids. Here's what he says in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That is, you need to return to what I've called you to do financially that there may be food in my house. In other words, take care of my deal first first and then check this out look what he says test me in this it's one of the very few times in the bible that you will catch god inviting you to test him he says you think i'm playing around try me and the people go well you know god maybe we ought to wait on this until we get our lives back on track and you know we have some margin and then we can begin giving from the margin and god God says, no, 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 come on. Test me. Invite me back into that arena of your life and you watch and you see what I'm willing to do when you put me first. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He says, look, 
you, you've shut me out of that area of your life for far too long. You have consumed your way to the point that you have no margin. You're spending it all on yourself, and consequently, things are not going so well for you, so come on. Let me back in. And we say, okay, God, I'll invite you back in. Dear Heavenly Father, please help me to have more margin. And God's like, no, no, invite me back in. And we go, well, what does that mean, invite you back in? And God says, 20% off the top. And we go, <laughs> you got to be kidding. God's like, okay, that's fine. You know, plant your crops, but just remember there's only one person that can make them grow. There's only one person that can protect you when things start going south. There's only one person that can keep your, your, your fruit on the vine until it's supposed to come off. I'm that person, God says. So if you want me gone, you go right ahead. You know how this sounds in our world? Well, God, I really can't do that because, you know, the job and my bosses and the economy. And God says, who do you think runs the economy? And we go, Janet Yellen. And God says, no, Janet Yellen does not run the economy. I run the economy. Who do you think is in charge of your, your, you know, your income? And you go, well, my boss. God's like, no. <laughs> your boss is not in charge of your income. Well, but God, you don't know my boss. And God says, look, listen, I can change the heart of kings. All I'm saying is you have fooled yourself into thinking for far too long that somehow finance and everything else, that's your world. And, and he, he basically looks at us and says, you treat me like grandpa. You know, he sits in his chair, and the grandkids come running into the house, and, hi, Grandpa, how you doing? And we hang out with Grandpa for a while, and then we leave Grandpa's house, and Grandpa waves goodbye to us. And he said, that's kind of how you think it is. You come to church, and you think I'm sitting in church waiting on you, like I get my one hour a week with you. Hi, how you doing? Come give me a hug. And then we sing some songs, and we hear some guy rant like a maniac, and then we leave. And I just kind of wave and watch you go out the door until next week and then I don't have anything to do with the rest of your life. That I just, I kind of live in the church building and that I have no idea what's going on in your financial world. And God says to you and he says to me, come on, test me. Try me in this. But you've got to open the door and invite me in. And I'm telling you, when you open the door and I come in, here's how we start before we do anything else. There is margin and I say, my kingdom first first see here's the principle and i get that you don't trust this coming from a preacher i get this okay but here's the principle anyway i'm going to tell you giving i'm talking about i'm not talking about you know waiting until the end of the month and seeing how much i got left over and then i might give something giving percentage priority giving that is before i spend on me i'm going to give it to god before i live up to the you know the very nth degree of my income i'm going to give to god Priority percentage giving breaks the power of money in an individual's life. You can say that another way. Priority percentage giving breaks the power of greed in a person's life. And you say, well, I'm not greedy. I'm, I would beg to differ if you're spending everything on you. I would beg to differ. That's why throughout the Old and New Testament, God says, look, before we talk about money, you've got to put me first. You've got to invite me in, and you won't believe what I'll be able to do if you'll just invite me into the air of your finances. See, here's how the principle works. If you want margin, do you know how you get margin financially speaking, spiritually speaking? 
You begin giving before you have margin. Because it is in giving before you have margin that you have set the stage for God to break in you that thing that has driven you to marginless living. I was talking to a young couple recently. They're getting ready to get married. Money is very tight for them. They kind of explained it to me and Didi. It's very tight. And I looked back across the table at them and I said, look, I want to, I want to challenge you to do something. And I know you're going to think that you have, there's no way you can do it. I want you to figure out a number. I'm not going to give you a number. You figure out, you pray about, come up with a number that you're going to give to God before the week starts. Before you know what happens in the week. That you're going to trust God and say, God, this is not ours. This is yours. We're giving this to you. It may, and, and, and for this couple, I mean, even a, a few dollars is going to be a big deal. And I said, look, it's not, it's not that the church needs your money. That's not the point. The point is, are you saying to God with your finances, God, I trust you. I don't know what's going to happen in my week, but before anything else happens, you get, you've given this to me, I'm going to make sure you get the first fruits of it back. The reason we have no margin is because we have a lifestyle that we keep trying to fund. And we keep presuming on the future. Next year, I'll get a raise. You know, next year there'll be more. Next year there'll be a bonus. And as we presume on the future, we squeeze our financial margins in. And as we squeeze those margins in, guess who we're squeezing out? We're squeezing God out. Because you cannot be a generous giver unless you have committed to giving God's way. And God says, look, I'm just telling you, I can break the power of greed in your life. I want to break the power that stuff holds over you. I want you as a husband and as a wife to be in a place where you aren't always arguing about money. Some of you. Wouldn't that be great if you didn't argue about money all the time? God says, look, I want to lead you to a better place, but, but to lead you there, I have to break the power of what's driven you to marginless living. And the first step is you've got to trust me with finances. And I know it's painful, and I know it's not intuitive, and it begins with you putting me first in this area of your life. It is planned strategic giving that, caused, that God uses to break the power of money in our life. The only way to really see God work in this area of your life is to give strategically and generously. Because it breaks that thing that drives us to marginless living. See, here's what we think. Well, when I have the money, then I will. And God says, no, 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 no. God says, maybe I can't trust you with more. Because if I give this to you, all you're going to do, if I take you up to here, you're just going to spend up to here. Okay, you've proven that over and over. To this point, that's what you've proven. I, wanna, I want you to show me that you're going to dial it down. I want you to show me that you're not going to spend up to the level of your income. I want you to show me that you're going to trust me and you're going to live with margin. I want to lead you to a place where you can fulfill your financial goals and you can give generously. But first, you got to put me first. And putting me first means giving generously before it feels like you've got margin to do so. See, I was raised, how many of you were raised by your parents to, you know, they taught you the whole thing, they gave you 10 single, single bills, and they said, now here's how it works. When you get $10, you take the first one and you give it to God. Was I the only one that was taught this? Surely not. You take your dollar and you give it to God and you put a dollar in your piggy bank and then that other eight is for you. And see, here's what happens. Then we teach our kids to give and we do that with them and we give them $10 and we say, okay, now the first dollar we're gonna, we're gonna give to God and they say, 
Well, I want to give two to God. And we freak out. Well, <laughs> you know, don't get extreme now. You know, God just wants one. Yeah, but I want to give two to God. Well, why would you want to do that? That'd be just crazy talk. See, kids' response to tithing is always different than, than adults' response to, to tithing. God says, I want to break that in you. I want to bring you back to a childlike faith where you don't worry all the time. And it's not the most important thing in your world. And you say, you know, you only want one? I'm a, I mean, I'm going to put one in the bank, I'm going to give you one, and I get to keep the other eight? Are you kidding me? God, what a great deal. See, many of us were blessed. We were taught this as we grew up, that the first check you write each week is a check to the church. And you say, God, I just want you to be involved in my finances. Here it is. Here's 10%. Do you know why people with less money than you have more margin than you do? It's a secret. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on the secret. There are people in the room this morning who make less than you who have way more margin than you, and they are not worried about money. Do you know why that is? Do you know why they have margin and you don't? They chose to. Really? Yeah. They chose to. They were disciples. They were disciplined. Imagine that. See, they weren't just Christians that just spent up to the max. They were disciples, and they said, as a disciple... I'm going to dial it back. I'm going to find margin. Things aren't going to be so tight around our house that that's all we fight about all the time. There's going to be margin. And we're going to help other people along the way, and it's going to feel good, and we're going to feel good as a couple because we help somebody else. They chose to. They said, we could drive that, but we're not going to drive that. We could live there, but we're not going to live there. We could live on 100%. We're not going to live on 100%. And I've never met anybody who honored God first with their money. I've never met anybody. I've talked to a lot of people. I've never met somebody who looked back on it and said, you know what, I really regret honoring God first with the money that he gave me. I've never met somebody that would say that to me. If you're a young couple and you're thinking about getting married or a couple that just got married, here's the best advice I can give you. Are you ready? Decide now the percentage of your income upon which you will live. Decide now. Don't wait. Man, I've got to go. I've got to go. I just saw the time. Got to go. Don't have any margin. Got to go. From time to time, you know, we get made aware of needs, and, and we think, well, I can't give because I don't have any margin. Here's what I would tell you. I don't have any emotional spending stories. There's no story where I go, oh, you know, I was at the dealership, and they put those keys in my hand. It's so emotional. I don't have a story like that. We, we bought that washer and dryer, and I just, I cry every time I think about it. I don't have a story like that. You know what? I got gobs of stories where if I start telling you about how I was able to help somebody, I was able to do something for them, buy groceries, buy diapers, pay for hotel rooms. I mean, I, I could tell you stories just this year, Okay? 
emotional stories. You would see me tear up when I start talking about some of the things I've been able to do to help people because I don't get this right all the time. I'm not perfect at this, but I've got a little bit of margin because I've dialed back my, my lifestyle and, I've been, and I understand God gives to me so that I can help somebody else. And when I think about it, if you start talking to me about it, I will tear up because it feels good to help somebody else. I want that so bad for you have a conversation with you where you go man i cannot even believe how good it felt to be able to help somebody like that okay i gotta say this because i promised you i would i gotta say this all right so i realize that what i'm doing right now is it's like the fox giving advice to the chickens right well of course he's going to tell us that because he's the preacher of the church and we're going to give to the church and it you know helps him and it makes him look good Okay, let's just say this. If you're new to our church or if you don't know me very well or you don't like me, okay, or you don't trust me, okay, just let me say this. Or maybe you don't trust our church or you don't like our church, which why are you here? I don't know. But but maybe that's the case. And you say, well, you know, yeah, I don't trust you, Brett. I don't trust you. Okay, then, then if you don't trust us, I dare you to take 10% of your income this week, walk into another church, ask for the preacher to come out into the lobby and just hand him the check and say, I don't trust our preacher, so you get this this week. I dare you. See, is the church going to go under because you didn't give? No, the church is not going to go under because you didn't give. And this isn't even about the needs of our church. I will tell you, I think we do great things with the money that you give. And I think that we could do, we have plans. We would love to do some things. And I've got some other statistics I'm going to give you later on that will blow your mind in, the, in this series. But I'm telling you this because I love you, because I'm your pastor, and because I watch far too many people fight and bicker, and I watch people split up, and I watch people not get along because they do not get this area of their life in order, and there's no margin, and when there's no margin, there's tons of stress, and I want you to get to a place where there's plenty of margin, and when something happens or somebody has a need, and you give money to the church, and you go, man, that feels good. That feels good. I don't feel so selfish. That's what I want for us. I got to shut up. Let's pray. Father, I I did my best today. I took my best shot to help these people understand that you are bringing them to a place where you want them to have margin, where there's peace and there's joy and there's benevolence and there's generosity and they tear up when they are able to put money in somebody else's hand who really needs it. When they recognize they've got so much that you've given them so much and because they dialed it back and found some margin, they could turn around and help somebody else And that puts you first. God, we don't want to rob you. We don't want to rob ourselves. There's a principle at work here, and I pray that we would find it this week. I pray that you would work on us this week. This is not intuitive. This does not come easily. This is hard. It takes discipline. Please help us. Father, we love you. We worship you. I I pray the richest blessing on people this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.